Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. participants, thank you for standing by. Your conference is about to begin. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Martin Ria International 2021 Second Quarter Conference Call. Instructions for submitting questions will be provided to you later in the conference. And I'd like to turn the call over to Mr. Rob Weldebor. Please go ahead, sir. Good afternoon or evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. We always look forward to talking with our shareholders, and we hope to inform you well and answer questions. We also note that we have many other stakeholders, including many employees on the call, and our remarks are addressed to them as well as we disseminate our results and commentary through our network. With me are Pat DeRamo, Martin Reyes' CEO and President, and our CFO, Fred DiTosto. Today, we will be discussing Martin Reyes' results for the quarter ended June 30. I refer you to our usual disclaimer in our press release and filed documents. Pat will speak first, then Fred, and then I'll finish up and we'll do some Q&A. Here's Pat. Thanks, Rob. Hello, everyone. As noted in our press release, our Q2 adjusted net earnings per share came in at $0.34, cents, just below the low end of our guidance range that we discussed on our Q1 call of $0.36 cents to $0.46. Cents. Production sales came in at $839 million, also below our guidance range of $850 to $950 million. Our adjusted operating income margin for Q1 was 4.4%, a big improvement compared to a negative 14.9% when the pandemic impacted us in Q2 of last year, where we had few sales for close to two months. Margins remain below pre-COVID levels, given the short-term headwinds we continue to face, most notably from the industry-wide shortage of semiconductors. This is having a more dampening effect on production than many expected just a few months ago. We also continue to progress through our heavy new business launch cycle with programs on the Nissan Pathfinder and Rogue, the new Jeep Grand Cherokee and Grand Wagoneer, the Ford Mustang Mach-E, the Mercedes C-Class, as well as the recent launch of the new Lucid Air, among others. While launch costs are a normal part of business, they are having an overweighted impact on our margins this year compared to a typical year, as we have many programs ramping up at the same time. Basically, a combination of the delayed 2020 and the planned 2021 programs, all launching simultaneously. The good news is these programs will generate sales growth at strong margins once supply chain bottlenecks are removed and production gets back to normal. In fact, our current plant capacity will essentially be full across the globe once normal production returns from our customers. Hence, the future looks great for our industry as well as our company. Vehicle demand remains very strong and vehicle inventories are at record lows. Despite the industry challenges of poor chip visibility that we are dealing with in the short term, we foresee a multi-year period of strong production growth once supply chain pressures ease. One of the largest customers recently commented at a supplier update that inventory is so low that once supply chains are stable, it will take more than two years with substantial overtime to rebuild normal inventory levels. This gives us even more confidence in our longer term outlook as our 2023 guidance of margins above 8% and free cash flow of over 200 million implies. Fred will have more to say on this momentarily. Turning to our operations, we continue to experience short-term disruptions and customer releases continue to fluctuate due to the shortage of semiconductors and other supply constraints. Sales mix has also been an issue as some of our higher volume programs, such as the Chevy Equinox and Ford Escape, have endured extended production shutdowns as highlighted on our last call. Giving an update, General Motors' Cami plant, which produces the Equinox, has been mostly shut down since February and will remain shut down till the latter part of August. GM is also taking downtime at a number of North American plants 
which is even affecting some pickup truck production. Similarly, Ford's facility that produces the Escape in Kentucky was down seven weeks in Q2. These are just a couple of examples in a long list of production shutdowns announced by the OEMs. In addition to supply chain issues, labor availability continues to be challenging in certain regions, and we've had to adjust wages in select locations as a result. With these increases in specific locations and COVID-related government relief easing some next month, we expect labor availability to continue to improve in the hourly ranks. On the salary side of the business, labor demand is very competitive. This is a consequence of the high post-pandemic demand for all types of products, auto and non-automotive included. With the high demand from our customers and all the launch activity, many facilities remain busy despite the supplier disruptions that cause release fluctuation. As travel restrictions have eased in many parts of the world, our ability to move resources in needed areas to support launches and operational enhancements is improving. This ability leaves us well positioned for the eventual recovery of volumes. Though I never completely stopped visiting plants during the pandemic, I'm happy to report that I'm visiting more facilities with the ability to cross borders with fewer issues. I'm impressed with what our plants have accomplished despite the difficulties brought on by COVID and the resulting resource and supply chain challenges. I'm also very proud of the work our SEO team has done, both inside and outside of our plants, to keep our lines fed with the necessary materials to meet our production needs. I'm pleased to announce that we have been awarded $40 million in new business since our last call. This includes approximately 30 million in lightweight structures with various customers, including General Motors, Ford, and Toyota, and approximately 10 million in our propulsion systems group with Volkswagen and Ford. New business awards in 2021 to date now total approximately $170 million. The pace of new business awards in recent quarters and our schedule of launch activity gives us tremendous confidence in the outlook over the next few years. Now, I want to take a minute and provide a quick update on Volta Explorer, our EV battery joint venture with Nano Explorer. As a reminder, Volta Explorer will build a one megawatt hour demonstration facility in Montreal, Canada, with the purpose of proving our new technology with graphene enhanced lithium ion batteries. Once we're satisfied with the results, the JV will determine next steps and how best to take advantage of the technology including the possibility of commissioning a 10 gigawatt hour manufacturing facility. We've now secured the demonstration facility in Montreal and the equipment is being delivered over the next number of months, which puts us on track to be up and running by early next year. We expect we will demonstrate the enhancements that graphene brings by mid 2022. We're excited about Volta Explorer and its prospects, as we believe graphene-enhanced batteries can provide some significant advantages over the current products in the marketplace. Simply put, graphene should enable faster charging speeds and longer battery life, which extends driving range. Graphene enables the use of silicone anodes, which is more efficient than graphite, the current standard. The challenge with silicone anodes is that they have a limited life as the silicone expands and eventually fractures when charged. Graphene can be used to coat the silicone spheres, which reduces the swelling and prevents fracturing. The result is greater energy density and capacity retention, which extends battery life and driving range. Graphene-enhanced batteries should be safer as graphene has high thermal conductivity, provides greater temperature control, and reduces the risk of thermal runaway which has caused fires on some current batteries in the market. This makes our graphene battery technology unique. Volta Explorer also has the potential to fill a missing piece of the Canadian EV supply chain, the domestic production of EV batteries. This is noteworthy, given the government's EV ambitions and the recent OEM announcements regarding the production of electric vehicles in Canada. There are currently a number of concerns with the current EV battery technologies, fire risk, charging time and its impact on capacity, driving range and battery life. Our work to date shows graphene enhanced batteries should improve 
all of these current challenges, some significantly. On that note, I'd like to thank the entire Martin Rea team for their continued dedication and commitment in the face of the industry supply shortages and other near-term challenges. With that, I'll pass it to Fred. Thanks, Pat, and good evening, everyone. Overall, second quarter results showed some strong year-over-year growth from the COVID shutdown lows of 2020, but we're still below pre-pandemic levels. As Pat noted, we continue to face headwinds from the global semiconductor shortage, tight labor market conditions, and a heavy launch cycle, which impacted our results in Q2. Production volume visibility remains low, with customer shutdowns being announced or extended on short notice. This has impacted volumes on key programs, as previously discussed. Our team has done a remarkable job in the face of these challenges, and we thank them for their efforts. While commentary from automakers, semiconductor manufacturers, and industry analysts has been somewhat conflicting, our expectation is that supply-driven challenges will persist in some form through at least the third quarter and quite possibly the fourth. Given the heightened uncertainty and volatility our company and our industry is facing in the short term, we have opted not to provide quarterly guidance for Q3 at this time. Current challenges notwithstanding, we remain confident in the longer-term outlook for our business, given strong customer demand for vehicles, rock-bottom vehicle inventory levels, and our healthy order book. We believe this will set the stage for strong growth in industry volumes for at least the next two to three years once we get past the near-term supply challenges, and our growth is expected to outpace the overall industry. I will have more to say on our outlook shortly. Taking a closer look at the Q2 results, total sales almost doubled off the pandemic-induced lows we experienced in Q2 of last year. Production sales doubled, while tooling sales were up 10%. In addition to the sharp volume recovery, sales also benefited from new programs launched in recent quarters, including the Jeep Grand Cherokee and Grand Wagoneer, the Nissan Rogue, the Ford Mustang Mach-E, and others. Despite the strong year-over-year growth, sales remain below potential given the volume disruption caused by the global semiconductor shortage. This will likely continue to weigh on near-term sales, as previously mentioned. Adjusted operating income margin came in at 4.4% in Q2, a vast improvement over the loss generated in Q2 of last year, as Penn mentioned. On a year-over-year basis, margins benefited from higher volumes and productivity and efficiency improvements. Despite the improvement, margins remain below potential due to the volume impact of the semiconductor shortage previously discussed and negative sales mix, as well as higher labor costs and costs related to a heavy new business launch cycle. The good news is these launches will benefit future sales, margins, and profits. Importantly, our Q2 adjusted operating margin fell by 50 basis points over the Q1 level on a 9% drop in production sales for a decremental margin of production sales of 11%, or approximately 20% if you exclude the aluminum pricing temporary lag effect discussed last quarter. A solid result that is reflective of our continuous improvement, lean, and cost-discipline mindset. Regionally, our North American operations achieved an adjusted operating income margin of 6%, up from a 12.7% loss in the second quarter of 2020 due to the impacts just discussed. European margins also demonstrated a sharp improvement over Q2 last year, but remain in a lost position given the volume challenges already discussed and our ongoing restructuring efforts in the region, which are progressing. Our rest of the world segment continues to operate at a high level, with an 11.4% adjusted operating income margin in the quarter, a level indicative of the long-term potential of the business. Moving on to earnings briefly, Adjusted earnings per share was $0.34 cents in Q1, a sharp increase over the $0.91 cent loss we generated in the year-ago quarter. In addition to the sales and margin impacts discussed previously, EPS benefited from a $0.05 cent net foreign exchange gain and a lower-than-normal effective tax rate of 24.5%. Free cash flow, as defined in our MD&A for Q2 2021, was negative $62.4 million dollars, inclusive of a $67.9 million increase in non-cash working capital and $75 million in cash capex. 
The increase in non-cash working capital was both production and tooling related. The disruption caused by the global semiconductor shortage and specifically the short notice or low lead times we are getting on production releases from our customers and other material shortages is forcing us to carry a higher than normal level of inventory. This dynamic should reverse over time as production volumes normalize. As we discussed on our last call, capital spending is somewhat elevated this year given the amount of work we have been winning, as well as customer-driven engineering changes and some deferral of spending from 20 into 21. The majority of our capital is program-related, and we only deploy capital when we win business. We earned strong returns on our invested capital, among the best in our industry, in fact, which demonstrates that we are investing well and generating good value for our shareholders. Turning to our balance sheet, net debt did increase compared to Q1 levels, largely to fund the working capital increase previously discussed. Our net debt to adjusted EBITDA was 1.84 times at the end of the quarter, which is modestly above our target of 1.5 times, but within our comfort range and well below our bank covenant maximum of three times. We remain committed to maintaining a strong balance sheet. As I mentioned at the start of my remarks, we are not providing the customary next quarter guidance given the uncertainty and lack of visibility we, and indeed our industry, are currently facing. However, to be clear, our conviction in the longer-term prospects for our business and our company has never been better. The fact that we are dealing with a supply issue as opposed to a demand issue gives us a great deal of comfort. And the demand picture is as good as it has been in years. We see evidence of this at the dealership level, where customers are having to wait months to take delivery of popular models, and in some cases paying thousands of dollars over MSRP. We also see it in used vehicle prices, which are currently at near all-time highs. Anecdotally, we also hear stories of people putting off vehicle purchase decisions given limited model options, which suggests that pent-up demand exists. We're also executing well in our lean journey, and as such, the potential to rebound to historical margin levels or even exceed them remains once production bottlenecks are worked out. We continue to expect our capital spending to normalize to a range approximating depreciation as a percentage of sales. The two main drivers continue to be second-generation programs and our flexible well lines, which will require less capital than their first iteration, and getting past their heavy investment cycle in the aluminum business. Keep in mind that we have been winning a lot of business as of late, which requires investment, but is ultimately a good news story given our return profile. We don't know exactly when the semiconductor shortage will work itself out. Quite frankly, no one does. However, few, if any, expect the situation to drag on beyond 2022. And as we look beyond into 2023, our outlook, which calls for total sales, including tooling sales, of 4.6 to 4.8 billion, an adjusted operating income margin exceeding 8%, and free cash flow in excess of $200 million, seems as achievable as ever from where we sit today. Our track record of delivering on our financial targets speaks for itself, and we are confident that this will continue to be the case as we deliver on our 2023 outlook. And with that, I t- now turn you back over to Rob. Thanks, Fred and Pat. With the comprehensive overview and outlook of Pat and Fred, I just want to add a few brief observations before questions. First, our recent quarterly calls have featured detailed aspects of our business, and we provide an investor letter getting into more detail. These remain relevant. Previously, we have outlined our approach to innovation, and more recently, our approach to capital allocation. At our recent AGM, I gave an overview of culture and sustainability which many of you on this call have heard and hopefully enjoyed. Given the fact that we just did this for you, I'm going to forego that presentation or summary thereof this evening. Neil Forrester has done a great summary letter of our approach to sustainability in the context of our company culture, and you will find the presentation posted on our website. We believe we have a unique and special approach to sustainability and ESG issues, and we will undoubtedly discuss these more in future. Second, From a safety, health, and operational perspective, our company remains at the forefront of best practices in relation to COVID-19 protocols. Our people continue to be safe and feel safe in our facilities. One of the biggest issues in terms of operations has been our ability to cross borders 
including the Canadian and U.S. borders for key people. Borders are still a mess, but we are going to get through this and supply chain normalcy will be good for everyone. Third, both Pat and Fred have provided a view of our operations and performance in a long-term context, as well as addressing the quarter. Both are relevant in their way, of course. Our quarterly financial results don't reflect some really positive news about the increasing value of our investments in new technologies, such as graphene and graphene-enhanced products. Our Nano Explorer investment appreciated considerably in value in the second quarter, and since, not reflected in our earnings per share numbers. But there is a lot of value there, and we believe long-term there is much more to come. And we have other exciting technologies and products in the pipeline too. A key to our long-term success and sustainability will be our ability to capitalize on our technology. And with that, we conclude our formal remarks. Thank you for your attention this evening. Now it's time for questions. We see we have shareholders, analysts, and competitors on the phone, so we may have to be a little careful with our answers, but we will answer what we can. Thank you for calling. Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star 1 on your device's keypad. You may cancel your question at any time by pressing star 2. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. We will take the first question from Michael Glenn from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Hey, good evening. Um, Pat, thanks for the update on Volt Explorer. Now, I just want to ask a, a few more detailed questions about that because clearly the market is giving some pretty significant valuations to different battery companies, some of which are, are pretty early stage. So, I mean, you talked about faster charging speeds, longer life cycle for the battery, increased driving range. Are, are you able at this time to, to give any quantification uh, into what those might look like? Well, the, the work so far has been done on, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, mini batteries, you know, the, the quarter size type that uh, go on a camera. So it's pretty early. The equipment that we've ordered and is coming, it, it will produce cells that are essentially the same type of cells you would use in a Tesla or what have you. Um, and, and in a battery, a car battery, for instance, there's thousands of cells. So there may be six or 7,000 of these cells inside one car battery. And if you haven't seen them, they're, it's kind of like looking at a, a AA battery, only it's a little bigger. Um, and that ability to produce those cells, which are pretty much identical to what's in the market, uh, will be able to prove the technology out. So, you know, we're not quoting specific percentages of improvement. We have confidence we're going to see these improvements, but until we can put it in one of these uh, typical cells, uh, we're going to we're going to hold back on, you know, guessing or predicting what that might be. But as I said, uh, we think in some cases it could be substantial. And in terms of the decision to establish Volt Explore, and I believe there was some uh, lab level type testing taking place before the establishment of Volta Explore. Were you seeing, like, can you characterize the results you saw in that lab testing gave you significant confidence that you, that you will see something favorable once you scale this up? Well, I, I, I'm not going to go into that detail for the reasons I said before, but I, but I will tell you we wouldn't be making the investment if we didn't have the confidence. And, and at what point, I mean, it, is, it isn't a long time away. You, you talked about demonstrating the enhancements by mid-2022. But at what point, did, like, are you going to be, does Volt Explore plan on releasing results publicly um, when, when they are available? You know, we, we haven't really discussed uh, the method in which we're going to share the information. You know, there are companies that talk to us about it. Um, there could be all kinds of methods based on interests uh, that might support this activity. I don't know if you want to add to that. Yeah, or I think, um, uh, Michael, as you know, uh, we are in a joint venture with another public company, Nano Explorer. We're working together on that, and we're being careful with our information and consistent with uh, with what they're saying. So, you know, I, I think let's uh, develop it. We're we're positive about this development. We think that 
from a number of perspectives, it's uh, it's positive for us in the in, in respect to our investment in Nano Explorer. It's going to be positive for graphene. We think that uh, graphene is an enhancer, but let's uh, let's be specific about the results when we can be specific about the results. Okay, um, and then just a, a question on uh, the Cami plant in Ingersoll. So, because I, I, I read articles about it, and I'm just trying to figure out exactly um, what's happening there. So, you did you make an indication that you will be um, you'll be providing product there by the end of August? And then as, as GM transitions that plant to the new BrightDrop platform, is that a platform that you, that you are involved in? So um, they were supposed to start up this month, the Cami back with the Equinox, and it was delayed again until, I don't remember what date in September, but I think the 6th is what comes to mind. I, I could be off a little bit. Um, and then they've announced the closure date um, it's already been reported. So um, how much that will run between here and there, we, we really don't know. I mean, as we've talked about the, uh, uh, the chip shortages, uh, we don't have great line of sight, but uh, the Bright Drop product is pretty low volume uh, by itself, at least initially, compared to, um, you know, what they have there now. And, and so, you know, I, I think you see a substantial uh, loss in volume, or maybe there'll be some other products added down the road as electrification takes off. Um, we don't have anything significant, I don't believe, on on that at this point. We we have we have a bit of content on the van, but nothing substantial at this point. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing and to bear in mind is is uh, that product's being made in Mexico, so insofar not the bright not the bright but the but the existing Equinox. So insofar as the Equinox remains a good seller. Um, uh, you know, volume, all or part part of the volume certainly that's lost in in Canada. We'll see increased volumes for us in Mexico, and one issue for us is to make sure that we fill plants that are supplying uh, supplying uh, um, CAMI, and uh, that's mainly our all field plant, and we're working on on uh, filling that plant. So that's the type of thing that we do when the customer makes these determinations. Our current and, and outlook. So Go ahead. Sorry. So that was sort of my, um, my my next question on what you do with the uh, uh, incremental capacity that becomes available in Canada. You, you see enough work available. Like, would that have to sell into Canada from all fields, or, or that could sell into the U.S.? Uh, um, can you ask the question again? I'm not sure I understand what you mean by sell into Canada or sell into U.S. Like, for... for the excess capacity that will be in all fields oh, that will become okay. available in all fields does that have to sell into Canada or that can go across the border? It can go across the border, and um, you know, as we said, we make product for the current Equinox and its sister, the Terrain, um, in both plants, and some of those are exchanged. We actually ship there now. Um, so some of that work will remain. We've won some other business that we've previously announced that will go into all field and uh, working on some other things as well at this time. And, and at the end of the day, that plant could stay full. Uh, our anticipation is it will be. The general comment that might be useful for you and for the others on the line is, uh, you know, despite the intermittent uh, uh, plant shutdowns that we're seeing with the chips and everything else, by the time the work that we're um, uh, doing in terms of preparing for new launches and all that type of stuff, by the time all that's in process, we're going to be full across the world in every plant. Yeah, it's, it's, as I said in my uh, initial comments, um, basically if we win anything significant, um, we may have to actually just add, add a plant or a significant addition. I mean, we are literally full, I think, for the first time ever. Okay, thanks for taking my questions. Okay, no problem. Have a good evening. Thank you. The next question is from Peter Sklar from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, this is Chang filling in for Peter. Um, first question is, in terms of the labor shortage, is Martin Rea doing anything to kind of alleviate that pressure, like any initiative specifically that the company is doing to alleviate that labor pressure? Yeah, I mean, in specific uh, locations, as I mentioned in my uh, 
my uh, first comments, we have made wage adjustments, um, you know, similar to other companies, bonus payments for staying for six months, those types of things. It's not, uh, it's not all over in all regions. It's uh, weighted more in the U.S. Um, than anywhere else, and it has made a difference in our ability to, to man up appropriately. Okay. And um, I understand that uh, obviously all, most of the OEMs are providing some contradictory forecasts in terms of the semiconductor shortage. Uh, especially for the coming quarter, but like what are you hearing directly from the OEMs that you guys speak to? Kind of how much visibility are they giving you and what are they saying with the commentary like? Um, visibility <laughs> the week out in a lot of cases. I mean, I got a, a text today from one of my operators that said uh, uh, this customer just decided or just said they're going to shut down for the next two weeks starting Friday. And so that's what, three days? Two days notice. Yeah. Up until that point, we we expect them to go, you know, go full out for the, at least the next month. And we see this happen quite frequently. Now I will tell you, it's not as frequent as it was, you know, in the beginning, but but it's still happening quite a bit. You know, some products you can you can kind of bank on. A lot of the trucks and larger SUVs are pretty steady. There's been some disruption, but the medium-sized SUVs and so forth, there's a lot more disruption. I mean, you think about it. Cami hasn't run out again, like Rob said, that we run in Mexico, but the Equinox has not run uh, really up here since February in Canada. And that's a big plant with a lot of volume and, and specifically because of chips. But a lot of products are hit and miss. Um, run two weeks, stop a week. Run four weeks, stop a week. Um, and, and I think it's going to be like that into the fourth quarter and, and maybe, maybe even a little bit, almost likely for sure, into next year. Yeah, I think okay. it is. You're, is is you're finding there's some contradictory stuff, but it isn't, you know, it isn't uh, vicious or anything. I just don't think that they know. And, yeah, and yeah, it's they absolutely no malice in all this. They really they have a hard time understanding it too. It's very complex. It's not so much that the chips go right into the OEMs. The, the majority of chips go into the supply base when they're put into products, and then they go into the OEMs. So it's a very complicated system they're trying to manage through right now. Okay, understand. And can you just give us a um, update on the Matosa acquisition? Yeah, actually, it's uh, it's gone quite well. Um, plants in China are the one place we're not seeing much disruption. Uh, the ones in Mexico, uh, the one we in Mexico, I should say, uh, we, we've had some very good success. If you remember during COVID, uh, we made some significant. Uh, changes to the, the number of people and the organization, and it's, it's paid off. We're very happy with it. Plant in Tuscaloosa was mostly empty and now is, is very full. That doesn't launch for another year or so. It's the EVA 2 from Daimler, but uh, a lot of activity going on there. Germany is continuing to improve. We're pretty pleased with, uh, with the activity now that we have people there to support it. Um, so overall, uh, I think we feel like we should have felt about a year and a half ago, but but it's starting to come into play. So uh, still feel very good about the acquisition as a whole. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Mark Neville from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hey, good evening, guys. Um, I appreciate not wanting to give the Q3 guide, but it's just just to be clear, when you do get some visibility, the expectation would be it would be would you be back to providing the normally normal quarterly guide? Yeah, we'll uh, we'll make that assessment as we go here, and uh, uh, we'll see how things play out. But uh, in the moment, in the next few months, it's going to be challenging to, uh, yep. to have some good visibility on uh, what's going on. So, okay, here's another thing said. Yeah, the example yeah. I gave a minute ago on literally a few hours ago being notified we're going to be down for two weeks in one of our big plants um, is the reason it's very difficult to do right now. Yeah, no, understood. Um, and Fred, you made a comment earlier just on the decremental, just so I understand, it's it's 20%. That's sort of with the the aluminum issue from Q1. I think you're planning to recover Q2. Is that is that the comment? Yes. Um, so it, it's lower if you factor that out, but if, if you uh, factor that in, and, and most of it balanced out uh, in the quarter, yeah. so we don't highlight a big impact this quarter. So when you factor that in, it's roughly around 20%. So 
slightly low, lower in North America and uh, slightly higher in Europe. Okay. Um, and I guess there's the expectation that, again, there, there will not be sort of capex or lower capex. Just, just given all the issues, you, you still plan to spend at the level you were spending prior, is that correct? At this point in time, the customers have not uh, scaled back in their launch activity. So the answer to that question is yes. So um, we're following our customer on that front. And uh, from that perspective, they have not slowed down. And, and, and as, I, as I was saying earlier, we, we're, uh, we're going to be packed to the brims. It, when, when, uh, when the supply shortages resolve themselves, the, the next two or three years, just in sheer volume is going to be quite incredible. We're very anxious about it. Yeah. Um, and the, the comments about CapEx eventually sort of equal being equal to DNA, um, I mean, roughly, like, what year are we talking? Uh, 23, so in line with our longer-term outlook. Okay, yeah. okay. okay. Um, and I guess just on the, it feels like stating the obvious, but the, the, the prior commentary about neutral free cash, but just giving your you're still spending and given all the volatility and the, the impact on production. I mean, break-even keys from free cash this year is, is probably not, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's, it's probably no longer the expectation. Um, you cut out there for a sec. Are you referring to 21? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, um, I'll have to see how the volume plays out. Uh, the way we're starting the back yeah. half of the year, it's not looking really good from that perspective. So uh, I think there's, you know, that's, that's at risk at this point. Yeah, no, I completely understood. Um, understood yeah. that. Uh, yeah. Um, maybe just one last question, just to, to follow up on some of Michael's questions on the Volta Explorer. Um, I guess I'm just curious, did, when you guys were doing the initial testing, um, I appreciate the comments about being small scale, but like, would any customers have seen this or have seen results, or as just really for that? Um, just, just curious. No, not so far. We've uh, we're pretty early, though. We are starting to talk to customers. Um, just based on what we expect, but uh, publicly we're we're just not going to talk about how much better we think it'll be until we get more data. Yeah, there's a there's a strategy there. You can go to a customer too early too, right? So. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, I appreciate that. Um, thanks for the question. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question is from David Ocampo from CoreMark Securities. Please go ahead. Uh, good evening, everyone. Good evening. Yeah, my first uh, question is on, on the elevated operating costs that you guys are seeing, uh, particularly as it relates to labor. Are these being factored into, you know, the future contracts that you guys are winning? And then as it pertains to your older contracts, are you able to find efficiencies in your business so when, you know, volumes do normalize, you can you could still get the operating margins that you guys thought you would you would get initially when you signed those contracts? Yeah, I, I would, I'll would. i start this and let Fred finish it, but you know, a lot of the labor um, that's driven is, is launch-related. Yeah, we've had a lot of launches that got delayed, if you recall, from 20 on top of ones from 21, which has created you know, some excess costs in the short term until the launches smooth out, which will happen this year. Um, at least the majority of them, there's some more launches that are obviously forthcoming at the end of this year and on into next. Uh, there is some labor uh, er areas where labor costs have gone up just from an hourly point of view. Um, our ability or, um, you know, plans as far as negotiating to improve our contracts uh, certainly are in play in some cases. Um, they're not unilateral across the company. We're not seeing wage increases everywhere by any means. Uh, more in specific plants and, again, mostly in, in the U.S., um, I don't know if you want to add to that at all, Fred. Um, not, not, not really, actually. So. Okay. But and then, uh, I will tell you this: that at the end of the day, with the volumes um, and where we expect to land with labor as a whole, our, our target for margin has not changed. Okay, that, that's helpful. And then when I take a look at your rest of the world segment, you know, margins continue to be at a pretty elevated level, and that's despite all the the inflation that we're seeing and, and we've discussed on this call. I was wondering if you could sort of just talk about the fundamentals that are leading to the strong performance, you know, relative to North America and Europe. 
Um, well, I think, uh, you know, we've, uh, it's, it's a relatively small segment for us. So, uh, you know, China has been thus far a, a pretty good experience for us. We've got some, some good contracts there and some good platforms. Um, the semiconductor issue has not necessarily hit us there, so we've been seeing some, some decent volume. Um, and, you know, despite all the uh, restrictions uh, as it relates to COVID and all the issues that have come with that, uh, the team over there has actually done quite well. Uh, so we're quite pleased with uh, its performance and uh, see that continuing into the future. So. And, Fred, do you see this sort of normalizing in mind with, with historical North America margins, or can they continue at, you know, this double-digit level? Well, we were... Uh, Pre-COVID, I think one of the quarters were close to 10%, so I don't, I don't think it was too far off. I think you're almost there at this point. But, uh, um, you know, I can see these current levels being sustainable for a period of time. Now, again, keep in mind, quarter over quarter, you got, you know, some launch activity in certain, certain quarters. Whenever that happens, uh, you know, given the size of the segment, it can, you know, go up and down from that perspective. But longer term, um, I think where we are is something that we can achieve going forward. Okay, that's great. That's all the questions I had. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question is from Krista Friesen from CIBC. Please go ahead. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, just to follow up on the the margins there. So, if we hypothetically, if we were to see the chip shortage kind of rectify itself or bottom out, anyways, by the end of the year, do you think we could? a return to pre-COVID margins in 2022 and then progress onto there to 8 plus percent in 2023 or or would that still be a little bit ambitious? Well I think it, it is possible of course depending on uh, how quickly the, the volume recovers but uh, you know it, it'll likely end up being a bit bumpy along the way and we are continuing to launch work so as we uh, roll this new work uh, online uh, there's going to be some costs associated with that. So I envision more of a gradual progression to the 8% uh, as we head into 23 as opposed to next year. Certainly the uh, the back half of 22, most of the big launches are done. Yeah. It, it ought to be looking pretty good, and the, and the chip issue certainly should be behind us by then. Okay, perfect. And then just to follow up on Matalsa, I think you mentioned on your last call that you were hoping it would contribute positively to EBITDA in the back half of this year. Is that still what's expected, or is it also kind of being impacted by the chip shortage, or just how you're thinking about that? Yeah, we're starting to see uh, more of an impact in volumes in Europe as it relates to chip shortage. So Q2 was worse than Q1, and Q3 has continued at that pace. Um, so I think some of that may be at risk, and depending on the volume plays out, but uh, it is improving, um, as we noted earlier. So that's that's positive, and uh, we're pretty we feel pretty good about heading into next year, assuming the volume is there, that uh, it'll contribute as expected. So okay, perfect. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, and then I just I just wanted to also ask. I know that um, we're seeing kind of rising COVID cases uh, in various different areas. Are you is that impacting anything? Are you having to um, should do anything different because of the COVID cases or not an issue? Not so far. I mean, uh, you know, there were plants, for instance, in the U.S. that uh, had, had started to remove masks and so forth and have, you know, put them back on. But as far as a surge in cases anywhere, you know, certainly there's parts of the world that are tougher, like Mexico, Brazil. Um, but I haven't seen any significant rise in any of our locations so far. Okay, perfect. Thanks. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Thank you. Thank you. As a reminder, please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. Our next question is from Brian Morrison from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks very much. I just want to follow up uh, on some of the margin questions here. So, Fred, to be clear, Metalsa EBITDA profitable in 2022, is that the message? Yes. Okay. And then I understand the consolidation of launch activity from 2020 and 2021 this year. just want to clarify. So you're going through a combination of heavy launch activity and plant inefficiencies or labor inefficiencies, costs, et cetera. So it's fair to say that we expect both these issues in terms of uh, margin impact to ease in 2022. It should be a clear tailwind. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say labor inefficiencies beyond launch. The areas where we're having labor inefficiencies are, are due to the launch, and of course we've had some, some wages that have um, increased because of the current condition of resources. Um, so certainly, um, certainly after these launches, after these launches, um, you know, get into their normal curve, I expect there to be a, a significant tailwind. Yeah, because these, these programs that we're launching are, aren't, aren't just typical launches. These are very large launches, some really big programs that, uh, and as you, you know, recall, um, you know, our newer work is at, at a, has a better margin profile. So I expect a you know, I expect to do very well. Yeah, we're we're yeah. pretty good at we're pretty good at launching, and we're pretty good when our plants are running. The big issue that's hit margins right now is the fact that we've got plants closed. If you take a look at, you know, the number of of uh, customer plants that were closed in the second quarter, which was more than the first quarter, you know, it's it's almost like rotating strikes uh, in in a, in a labor situation. And when you have a plant like Shelbyville, which is our biggest manufacturing plant in North America, which makes the escape for seven weeks, you've got cost and you don't have revenue. And, and so that, that will sort itself out as uh, volumes come back and the chips come back. That's, that's, that's a, by that's far our biggest hit on market. That's a, really good, that's a really good point. And the other piece to this, too, which is very unusual but, but noteworthy, and I should have, should have said it when you talked about labor inefficiency, where labor inefficiency is coming into play is at certain locations when chips take the plants down. In the past, it's very easy to lay everybody off, pick them back up again. You gotta be a lot more selective now because if you lay everybody off today, ain't coming back. Um, so you've got to be much more strategic in your short-term layoffs and those types of things where you can typically cut costs where today you're taking some risks that you won't get trained people back. So, so we have to be smart about the way we manage that. Okay, thank you both. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Fred, just in terms of tooling levels, um, very high level in 2019. You've got this ambitious forecast for 2023. Maybe just some color with respect to where we think tooling should be in 2022 and 2023. Yeah, generally speaking, again, it's somewhat volatile. You, you know, some some can uh, roll into future periods and so forth. Uh, but you know, somewhere in the range of two to three hundred million over the next couple of years uh, will likely end up being where we land, um, give or take. So. Okay, thank you. And last question, maybe Rob. I assume this one's for you. But when you think about your holding in Nano, and you, you did refer to the great run that you've had here. It's now you know, up 30% since the last quarter when I asked you about it. It now makes up 20% of your market cap. Just maybe walk through what your midterm options are for, for, for holding this position. Uh, well, I, I, I think that a couple of things. The first thing is that our investment there, I mean, it's not just a passive investment. We've uh, they've brought value to us. We brought value to them, and so we've got a good working relationship as well. Also, I think you know we've helped uh, support on the operational side, and I think that uh, so that's so that's one thought. We 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 think that's actually a growing value business for us, um, in the sense that uh, we believe in graphene. We believe that they're the best producer of graphene in the world. Uh, we can almost say we are part of that, like, you know, so we take this uh, personally as well. We think there's tremendous opportunities there. We've obviously opened the doors to some extent on the uh, automotive market with our graphene-enhanced brake lines, which we think are the best brake lines in the world, and we think every customer should have them. Um, and, and so, you know, there's a, there's a, a good – there's a relationship more than just a passive uh, uh, shareholding there, and we can help – work with them in order to uh, grow the business along with the other investors that we partner with in, in Nano, which include, you know, the Cass and Fidelity and some pretty good, uh, some pretty good, uh, um, you know, uh, long-term, long-term uh, players. Uh, we also think that working together with them on the Volta will create value for us, um, if nothing else, in, in the sale of graphene. We think graphene-enhanced batteries are something for every battery manufacturer in the world to look at. So we think there's an opportunity there. And yet at the same time, we also recognize that, uh, you know, a strategic investment at some point, if someone wants to buy part of the position, you know, we would, uh, uh, we would consider it. I think we've put, but, but, you know, 
I mean, it's, that's the same with anything else, right? And in the context of we'd also sell a plant if someone makes us an offer we couldn't refuse or something like that. Um, so where we are right now, we're comfortable that we're seeing the accretion in value. Uh, we really like uh, Sarush and his team. Uh, we really like uh, the opportunities there, and uh, and and we think it's uh, it's got a lot of growth. And in terms of you know the value of that being 20% of our market cap, I'm not sure it's being reflected in our market cap. I think that I think investors that are missing out on what we're doing there, which is not just a passive investment, just don't understand the picture. I agree, and that's why I asked. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I'll, I'll add to that. Like you know, at the end of the day. There's a perspective on the auto parts to a certain extent that, you know, unless you're doing electrification or autonomous, that you're not in the technology game or something like that. And that's insane. Um, uh, the reality is that, you know, this is a very technology-driven uh, industry. We have a lot of content on electric platforms. We have a lot to offer. Lightweighting, which is what we do, is absolutely core to every environmental green initiative that's out there involving automotive. We're uh, heavily involved in looking at the increased electrification of the market, including making products like battery trays, including bringing lightweighting technologies. And we're investing a lot of time, effort, innovative capital, and money into leading edge technologies, graphene being one of them, and some other things that we haven't disclosed yet. But we're right at we're right at the uh, cutting edge of technology, and uh, quite frankly, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a different it's a different market that people should you know basically take a look at. Thank you. Thank you. There are no further questions registered at this time. I would now like to turn the call back to Mr. Rob Weldeboer. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for giving uh, us some time this this evening, and uh, thank you very much for your questions and incisive uh, uh, commentary. Um, if anyone has further questions, feel free to call us. Uh, the contact information is in the uh, in the press release, and you can talk to Neil, Fred, Pat, or me at any time. Thank you very much. Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time, and we thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.